0: Okay, I normally don't do an intro for uh, the Men podcast. It's Joe Roder here, but uh, after recording this last night with Craig, I want to make sure and do an introduction for him, let you know who I'm on the podcast with, and uh, also explain the title. Uh, Craig is one of our, well, not one of our best fishing heads. He is one of the best and most capable uh, technical, anglers and guides that I've ever met. I mean from two-handed casting to technical nymph uh, you know, Craig doesn't get on, he doesn't get a lot of video, he doesn't show up in a lot of our blogs, but the guy is an absolute fishing genius. Uh, very talented guide, extremely experienced angler, uh, all the way from, you know, saltwater tropical fishing uh, that he does every year several trips, uh, to lots of coastal steelheading on the famous Olympic uh, Peninsula in Washington, and then he guides uh, trout a good portion of the year uh, as well, and then guides a ton of steelhead on the Klickitat River, and he is the head guide uh, in our steelhead lodge from uh, September through November. So uh, from a fishing standpoint, Craig, there's, there's a ton to learn from Craig and uh, he's just, he's so humble and he's so honest and he just gets out there each and every day and teaches his anglers uh, how to get into fish and puts them into fish. Um, when we got done with the podcast, we're like, man, we could nerd out on this for like four or five more hours. I want you guys so we're like nymphing nerds. I mean, we really there's so much to to learn as far as technique on um, presenting nymphs under the surface. And we could have went on for hours and hours and hours uh, because there's a lot to know about it. So I really encourage it if you want to improve your fishing and your 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 nymph fishing and your catching and just your fishing in general, listen to this entire podcast. It's not the We know it's not the best sound audio. We're not goofy and funny and, and that kind of stuff like a lot of other podcasts. But if you genuinely want to become a strong angler that can put fish in the net consistently and get better at catching fish and become more skillful, listen to this podcast about nymphing. Craig has a ton to share. I've always got a lot to share. I think it's an absolutely awesome podcast. And I'm going to accent it probably with some videos uh, and some blog articles where I diagram some of this stuff. So if you don't currently follow our blog, check RedsFlyShop.com slash blog regularly. And you can see some of this stuff visually rather than just listening to a description of it. So uh, enough said there. Enjoy the podcast. Craig is a whiz. Love chatting with this guy and uh, hope you learn a ton. Hey, The Men Podcast here. Joe Roter at Red's Fly Shop uh, broadcasting uh, within view of the river, Uh, sitting here with one of our main guides, Craig Chittenden. What's up, Craig? Oh, I'm doing pretty good, Joe. Just getting ready to go fish here a little bit later. Yeah, so Craig and I are scheduled to guide here in about an hour or so. Uh, So we're going to do a short podcast on nymph fishing strategies and we might have our work cut out for us out there today. There's uh it's we have this un just this his well, I don't know if it's unhistoric or historic, I don't know what the right word is, but it was seven degrees this morning in March, uh for central Washington, which for those that have never been to Reds, it's it looks a lot more like what you'd think of as like south central Idaho, uh parts of Montana. It's kind of a dry, arid landscape, but Single-digit temperatures in March for us is just not common.
1: Yeah, we usually see it in the 40s, maybe even 50s by now. Um, this is what it usually looks like in dead of December, maybe early
0: January out here. And yeah, so we're going to end up, uh, I don't know if we're going to wind up fishing or not. We're going to see if this ice flow relents. But um, what we're going to talk about today is the different types of nymph fishing. Uh, we're not going to tr- gonna get down into the details of like what fly you should use, but we're going to get right to it because we're not going to waste your time on this podcast. You're welcome. There are plenty of podcasts, good for wasting your time. This is not one of them. So we're not going to talk about specific fly patterns, a lot of tippet and size, and that kind of stuff, but what we are going to talk about is when you might do each strategy. And Craig and I pre-funked a little bit, uh, and we're going to talk about dry fly dropper nymphing and kind of how we how went to do that. We're going to talk about uh, suspension nymphing and that is uh, using a strike indicator and a length of tippet or leader below that indicator that is less than the depth of the bottom, keeping those flies somewhere up in the water column. Uh, we'll talk about kind of traditional dredging or bottom bouncing nymphing with indicators Euro Euronymphing and drop shotting, and the function of this podcast is to help you make decisions on which one of those, uh, I guess that was that five techniques? Uh, I, think yeah, I think five. So. Dry dropper, suspense, yeah.
1: But restate
0: them. <laughs> <him>. Restate them <laughs> for me. All right.
1: Dry dropper, suspense, uh,
0: drop shot, dredging, Euronymp. Okay. Euronymp. I think that's all five. And we're going to talk about dead drifting nymphs because swinging soft tackles is just something they do in Europe. We're gonna do that here. I do a little bit of that, but we're not gonna talk about that today. So why don't you kick it off, Craig? Uh, and why don't you talk about? Um, let's talk about. Why do you talk about drop shot fishing? Is right. when, when when somebody might want to employ a drop shot, what it is, and when somebody might want to do that to get some fish. Well, okay. Um, well, the
1: drop shot something. Um, that I actually do quite a bit for steelhead more so than trout, but, um, but do use it for trout too. Um, it's when you really want to keep your fly dead on the bottom, um, similar, similar to Euro-nymphing um, in the way that you're keeping keeping lead connected to the bottom of the river um, as much as you can. So you'd set it up by running a, a, a long main mainline um, with a heavy lead at the very bottom. Um, you can set off tags at various depths measured from the bottom rather than the surface like you would normally run
0: on a suspense maybe. Gotcha. So the variable factor you're talking about would be you have a piece of split shot, be it lead non-toxic split shot, whatever, some type of shot on the bottom and then a certain distance above that shot is where your fly is going to be rather than worrying about how deep your indicator is set up. Yeah, exactly. So. Um, What's a typical rig look like for
1: you? Oh, for me, it, it really depends on the flows here, but I'm going to probably set up a, you know, a, a, a main line that's probably two or three feet deeper than than the river um, where I'm fishing. So if I'm fishing four feet of water, I'm going to set up my main line six, seven feet. Um, I usually run a couple split um, on the bottom, probably a little heavier than than Joe's run and, and some other posts. But... Um, you know you're going to fish it a little bit tighter lined. You're you're not going to be mending and dead drifting quite as much. Um, you need a little bit of tension on your on your line to keep those keep that lead bouncing along the bottom.
0: Yeah, it that's pretty similar to my setup. I know you run two flies with your drop shot rigs more than I do. I, t- I tend to run one fly a little bit more. Um, but I would say that I'm not an extremist uh, when it comes to drop shotting. I'm not fishing 10 and 12 feet deep as much as you. It sounds like you might be. I tend to run that six to eight feet on my line, and then I'm targeting in cold water. I think it's a great cold water strategy. Anywhere from three to five to six feet of water. I don't I don't fish a lot deeper than that, even in the winter. But I think the main thing is so. There's lots of videos on drop shotting uh, on how to set up. I've done one that's very popular because it's simple. Um, Kelly Gallup's got one that. Is definitely more in depth. I don't want to say complicated, because it's not quite the right word. It's it's great information, but uh, get a lot of positive feedback on the one I've done. But more than anything, like people can go figure this out, right? They can see a diagram or video on how to set up a drop shot. Sure. My my big takeaway from what you said there is, you're not you need that indicator to have a little bit of tension on it from the surface currents to keep that setup moving along the bottom. Yeah, exactly.
1: You, you can't be just setting big, big stack mends and, and big back mends on it to, uh, otherwise you're just gonna bury that that lead or shot or whatever, whatever you use for that.
0: You're just gonna bury that right in the bottom. It's um, gonna stall is what happens. That's the right word for it because it doesn't snag or get stuck all the time, but that weight will stall and your bug stops moving. And when it stops moving, it's not fishing.
1: Yeah, exactly, um, and, and sometimes that uh, you know you, you're going to feel the fish grab it um, probably as often as you're you're going to see that bobber move. So just keeping a couple feet of you know of your fly line downriver or in front of your indicator um, is is really is really key on uh,
0: running that rig successfully, which is the opposite of you know true suspension slack line technical fishing. So. Uh, staying on drop shotting for a minute, when and why might an angler, and we're talking to do-it-yourself anglers. This is not folks that go on guided trips with us. We want we want to polish up you do-it-yourselfers. Why and when might somebody use a drop shot rig? Oh man, um, you know personally, it's something that I use
1: um, when I think fishing's a little tougher. Um, when I, when I really feel like the fish aren't moving a long ways to come eat a fly. Um, and we need to keep something, you know, down there on the bottom near the fish. Um, you know, that that's when I use it anyways.
0: Yeah. So that's probably cold water. Yeah. I, I think, um, bad barometer, you know, just high pressure conditions where you, you're, you've tried your dry fly fishing. I always encourage people if there's a chance with dries, fish dries, and then you kind of work down the call and maybe trying some of the other nymphing techniques and then drop shotting. I don't want to make it sound like a last resort, but it, it because it's fun way to fish, but I typically don't go there first. I go there in cold water conditions, changing conditions, or when I've struggled to catch fish, because I would prefer to suspension nymph for me. I like the takes. I like castings, dry droppers and other lighter setups better. Because um, I think there's more finesse and, and uh, articulation to it, but drop shotting can be extremely effective, especially when the fish are living, say, over four to six feet deep. You know, they're they're right on that fringe where it's tough to get get them to come up to a suspended nymph. Yeah, I, I totally agree there. Um, again, it's just
1: fishing a drop shot like that with, you know, with your split shot connected to the bottom, you're just going to be able to keep your fly down there better for longer. Um, You're fishing more weight on it generally. um, So it's going to get to the bottom quicker and it's going to stay down there um, for a longer time.
0: Yeah, it kind of has some of the same effects that Euro style fishing does without an indicator, except you can get much, much longer drifts. So for like big pools and big runs where we need to get a long drift, um, drop shotting can work very effectively for that. Whereas other techniques like Euro fishing, where we are t- making contact with the bottom, that's more of a point blank range thing done for smaller water. And this might be a good segue to talk about that next, but drop shotting allows you to throw, you know, you can throw a long cast upstream, get that thing down and you can make contact and stay within two two feet of the bottom, eighteen inches of the bottom for most of the duration of the drift. Yeah, you could you can run extremely long drifts. I
1: mean, you can you can run full straightaways on on one cast and be able to keep your flies, uh, you know, in the line that that you want to keep them in.
0: Okay, on a one to ten deadly factor, where's the a new thing we're doing on this podcast, oh. we're gonna call it the dead <laughs> the fun factor, or the 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 gentleman's factor, oh. one to ten, deadly factor, oh. drop shot nymphing.
1: Boy, man, I, I, it's got to be it's got to be pretty high up there. I'd say in that eight eight nine <laughs> range. Uh, you Maybe. know, it, it again, it, it can't be fished everywhere. It's got to be it's got to be kind of used on on the right areas. Um, it's not for pocket water. No, no, you need it, you need a good gravelly bottom um, as well. If you're fishing in big. You know big jagged basalt or something even even with just split shot on the bottom they're still going to get hung up and, and caught in big rocks and big stuff like that so having a having a relatively flat bottom it makes makes it a lot easier a lot less breakoffs
0: yeah that's a really good point so uh deadly factor super high but you got to do it gravelly bottom predictable you know smoother bottom it's not for pocket water and it's for fish when they're living say you know let's just Hell, let's throw out a number, over four feet deep, six feet deep. If you can't quite clearly see the bottom, it might be a good spot for drop shot. nipping. obviously that depends a little bit on water clarity, but we are focusing on known locations for fish. We're not throwing this up under the trees, up under the brush or anything like that. Mid river pools, buckets, runs, deeper water, gravel bottom. Uh, next question. Yes. Staying on drop shot nymphing because there's a lot of stuff to talk about. I just, I want to jump to your own nymphing so bad right now. (laughs) Uh, But just as far as general setup, uh, what type of indicators uh, would you typically recommend for that? You know, I I don't think, I've never tried it with a yarn
1: indicator. I I can't imagine that's going to be very effective. You would need such a big gob of yarn uh, and and keep it dressed all the time. I, I run... Um, our normal three quarter inch thingamabobbers or airlocks, um, you know, the thingamabobbers uh, work fine for us in the boat. We don't adjust them a whole lot throughout the day, or at least I don't. Um, you know, I more set a depth and and run with it as long as I can. Um, when I'm steelhead fishing with this technique, I'll use airlocks far more because I am adjusting my depth a lot more um and and the airlocks allow you to do that without kinking up or, or messing up your the butt section of your leader too bad
0: yeah real similar um i use the thingamabobber a lot more three quarter inch thingamabobber um you know just talking indicators for we should probably do a whole podcast on <laughs> indicators because what a lot of people don't understand is you have to have the right indicator for the job and the job is going to be how heavy are my flies how deep are my fishing is it windy or the takes subtle, is it fast water or slow water? Um, Regarding drop shot, I run three quarter inch thingamabobber most of the time. I don't care for the airlocks as much because they don't roll cast as good and they're heavier. So if I'm guiding, I see people cast a lot better with a thingamabobber, but the airlocks definitely have some conveniences. I have done a fair amount of drop shot nymphing with yarn, but only in slow currents with lighter setups. And so like, Winter time fishing, those fish are in walking speed or slower water, and I don't need much weight to make contact. I mean, I don't need hardly any weight. I need a BB size shot gets it down. So yarn works good for that, but yarn doesn't have the ability to pull that shot and possibly the fly. The fly is supposed to sit suspended in this setup. The fly is not supposed to make contact with the bottom. It's supposed to be eye level with the fish but the yarn doesn't pull weight along the bottom as effectively. But I think there's definitely a place for it in wintertime conditions with slow currents. And on the Akamai, I catch a lot of fish in the winter in as little as three or four feet of water in really soft currents, where bigger, heavier gear might make a disturbance. But more often than not, three-quarter inch thing on the bottom
1: Yeah, that's, that's pretty much the go-to indicator for me anyways.
0: Um, all right not wasting anybody's time we won't try to be cute and entertaining uh if that's a byproduct <laughs> of our podcast great uh, but you can go listen to i don't know joe rogan or somebody uh if you want to hear more humor and f-bombs uh we're going to talk about euro nymphing now so i'm more of a euro guy i got into that specifically so that i could try to get more people being effective on foot on public water. I catch plenty of fish with indicators. Um, I fish with guides all the time. I get Craig to row me down the river one day, I'll catch a whole bunch of fish. I don't need your nymphing to catch more fish for myself. I'm very interested in learning new stuff and I think it's a great tool uh, for people to have and know about that are gonna wade fish and they're gonna wade fish popular water that they can get to the fish and finding the fish isn't as much of a challenge as getting them to bite. And euro nymphing allows an angler to kind of carve out a small piece of water for a day, pick it apart meticulously, and put some fish on the board. There are all sorts of pros and cons, and I'm going to speak, you know, to euro nymphing, and then Craig can crack whatever jokes he wants about it because I don't think he, <laughs> well, I don't yeah. think he appreciates that this prowess is what's required uh, to operate a euro nymph rig, but. The, the pros are if you fish waters, and you know there are mature trout living in these holes, and you're having a tough time catching them, there's no method more effective than nymphing for pure catching fish on small to mid-sized water. It can be challenging on great big rivers because you simply can't get close enough to a density of fish. Euronymphing is typically done at what I call point blank range, That's going to be within two to three rod lengths, three rod lengths being a long presentation. But Euro-nymphing allows you to detect light strikes, manipulate and agitate your nymphs across the bottom, make it look like there's nymphs actually emerging or crawling out of the gravel. It's just deadly when when you get the hang of it. So, oh. There, I've done some other podcasts about it. If you don't know what Euro nymphing is, there's far better places to go look at it. Uh, get the Devin Olson DVD set uh, of Modern Nymphing, uh, and then there's a new one, Modern Nymphing Elevated. It, complete endorsement for me. I've watched those things several times, uh, and some of the stuff they have on those videos are great. We sell them at Reds. Coincidentally, uh, order them from us. But those Euro nymphing DVDs on our website are like they're they're worth the money and then some. Uh, so. But the downside to Euro Nymphing is uh, you're you're not going to be able to present very far away. So for larger rivers, it's definitely uh, tougher. Uh, in the winter time, I found on bigger rivers, Euro nymphing is challenging because those fish are living in the bigger tanks and the more open spaces where they can get down deeper and access uh, like spring water or inner flow that's coming out of the gravel that's warmer. So in the spring, these fish move up into the pocket water. They're in anywhere from 12 to 36 inches of turbulent pocket water around boulders where it's very difficult to get a proper presentation with an indicator because the whirlpools in the white water swirl your indicator out of there and pull your fly out of there. And it, it, those scenarios don't work for drop shotting very well because drop shotting is it's more of a deeper water phenomenon and it's too, some of that pocket water is too technical but I can absolutely clean house around swirly boulders with Euro-nymphing setups when I can get close to the fish. So if I can get two rod lengths away from these fish, no problem, I can get them and it is incredibly deadly. Uh, Where I don't like Euro-nymphing is uh, in the middle of the winter or on very long, large seams where I can't get a long presentation. So, uh, but it is unbelievably effective and that's why every single fly fishing competitor that's fishing for pride and and medals and trophies, they all do Czech or European style nymphing. So they don't have to, but there's the evidence. It's a highly effective technique uh, for that scenario. So if, if you're thinking about some streams that you have near your residence right now that you know those fish are there, you can get close to them. They're tough to catch. Nothing's more effective than that but you're gonna to have to put your reps in and I strongly recommend you get the right equipment. I dabbled in it for years, maybe a little bit like Craig has and I didn't use the right equipment. I was trying to do it with, you know, a really finely tapered nine foot five weight. You have to have an ultra light rod, long rod with an extremely flexible tip or soft tip so that you can manipulate those flies across the bottom. And you can, the upsides too are from an aesthetic standpoint, I feel takes and I get to catch them on a tight line and it's not slack, sloppy and messy. The other thing is if you're tired of getting tangles with indicators and double, double fly rigs, try Euro nymphing with a single like number 10 or 12 tungsten jig head nymph and you've got one nymph on the end of a line with no indicator, no shot, it's a pretty cool way to fish. So, you're a nymphing, bad when the fish are in big pools on big rivers, good when they're up in the pocket water and the fish are accessible, there's nothing dead there. Craig, comments on this thing that we call Euro-style nymphing?
1: Oh man, I I, I really haven't done any anything that could truly be called Euro-nymphing. I understand how effective it can be. The, the closest thing I've really done to it would be uh, just truly high sticking single, you know, nymphing a single fly, um, just high sticking at at close, you know, a close range, keeping all my line off the water, and, and even your indicator sometimes. And and yeah. a lot of times the indicator maybe touching the water,
0: maybe not. But it's um, but it's a tight line presentation. The indicator happens, and it, it's amazing. How when you hang it like that in those world the tough the technical currents when you get up tension on that indicator that's when your bites happen
1: oh yeah and and you're able to move the fly so much slower through the water too um often in that in that kind of water that surface water is just ripping through there so uh being able to hover the indicator just above that and and be able to take a heavy tungsten fly um and drop it through that surface current often You'd be shocked at how slow everything moves through that fast water.
0: Yeah. It's important for people to know that are learning more about nymph fishing, and you should learn more about nymph fishing. Dry fly all you can, but nymph fishing is going to get you out of bed in the morning and heading for the river because without nymph fishing, we're fishing a few months out of the year. The other thing I'm going to add, I'm going to say this again and again, and again. Craig hasn't really needed, he hasn't needed to get into Euro nymph fishing. He's a pro. He fishes with pros. We catch plenty of fish. What we do in our boats rowing down a western river is so different than what the, the typical consumer is gonna do. You, you, most listeners this podcast don't have access to the same resources that we do. So while he may not euro nymph fish, he's a guide and he's gonna fish out of a boat when he can. And, and when he doesn't fish out of a boat, It's gonna be because he's at a destination where he's gonna employ a lot of other techniques. So, one of the biggest mistakes, I need to do a whole podcast about this. I see people attempt to mimic as a do-it-yourself angler the skills and strategies employed by guides. It is two completely different things. We float long distances and we fish for the most aggressive trout on the best seams. Craig made the comment before he started this podcast. There are days we might cover 20 miles of river as a guide. When we cover 20 miles of river, we're gonna throw big dumb flies under big dumb setups, and we know where all those trout are living, and we're gonna test the best seams for aggressive fish, and we have the luxury of covering enough seams to have a great day at the end of the day without having to beat our anglers to death and nag them and bug them. We're gonna let them relax, have a good time, totally different than the angler that's going to carve out a little section of a river. Maybe you're heading to the Madison River to do some wade fishing. The techniques you're going to do when you carve out a little piece of the Madison River to do some wade fishing of the day are going to be completely different or should be different than the guides rowing by covering 10 to 15 miles a day.
1: Oh yeah, there's there's no question about it. I mean, um, if you're coming out wade fishing, even in the summer and you know long daylight hours, you might get four or five, maybe six spots. You're going to, you're going to wade fish in a day. Um, you know, it's just nowhere near the amount of water that, that we're covering. You know, even on, even on short days, we cover, we cover miles of river, you know, a half day for us in the summer is probably seven, eight, nine mile float for us. Um, we're, we're just going to try to cover everything we can with one pass pretty much all the way down the river.
0: Yeah, I agree with that. It's a one-and-done thing. I mean, we're not going to sit typically uh, and cast over the same seam line again and again and again. You people listening, you should find spots that you're confident in casting over again and again and again. And, you know, some of you need to move more, but if you know spots on your local streams where there's fish there and you're not having the success that you should be, you think about employing some of the different strategies we're going to talk about. So, I'm going to wrap up Euro-nymphing with that. It's something people should consider. If you're interested in getting into it, there's a whole playlist on our YouTube channel about how to get into it. we got a whole section of our website uh, where we sell Euro-nymphing, and I'm going to try to sell you some stuff. That's the reason we're doing this podcast. It's a fun public service, yes, but I'm going to try to sell you something. But for your convenience, there's Euro-rod and reel setups on our website from there's good, better, best uh, type categories. Go to Fly Rod and Reel Outfits. Look for a Euro nymphing rod and reel setup. The fishing effectiveness between a ten-foot two-weight and a nine-foot five-weight is night and day. It's not even the same thing. Okay. All right, done with Euro nymphing. Finally. I just, well, I want to keep going. I want to rant. Uh, Craig, what are we doing next? Oh, let's do uh,
1: let's do dry dropper. About that, uh, which I'm sure everybody out there who's uh, whose fish is, is done on that and probably done a lot of dry
0: dropper fishing, um, really popular,
1: um, can be real effective as well.
0: Yeah. So let's just do, uh, pro, pros and cons. Uh, I'll start with some pros. Uh, it's fun to cast. Sure. Uh, that's a big deal. Um, I don't think you people should be doing stuff in fly fishing if it's not enjoyable to just, to cast it and fish it. Uh. If you cringe every time you cast a streamer, quit streamer fishing, or get a get a nine-foot six-way fast yeah. action rod. That, yeah. Get a better setup. Get a better <laughs> setup, that'll help, but... Um, so it's fun to cast. You can move it around the river very, uh, it's very agile, meaning you can change directions very quickly. You can make a long cast. You can make a short cast. You can do a lot of stuff with it. So it's very agile. Um, you can cover water very quickly. Um, You're covering the top half of the water column, uh, you know, with the dry and the dropper all the time. But if you're fishing in water where I I trout fish typically pretty shallow water, I mean, for me, four or five feet is very deep water. Um, If I have a two foot dry dropper, it stands to reason I can effectively fish water that's three or four feet deep if I can get that nymph directly under my dry at full length. Uh, which is most people don't understand the concept of a vertical hang on a dry dropper. They, that nymph just wanders around out there. God knows where, well, you know what, let's just be jerks for a second. What are people doing wrong when you encounter the civilian angler, meaning an angler outside of our, our, uh, our control? (laughs) What are they doing wrong on their dry droppers? You go first and then I'll have my list next.
1: Oh man. Uh, they're they're spending way too much time concerned with the dry. Um, they're watching the dry fly and they have no idea what's going, what the, what the nymph below is doing. Um, you know, I, I think people are with the, with the dry dropper rig are, are trying to fish the dry fly way too much. Um, they, they need to be fishing the nymph more. Um, put the dry fly, in in places you know where it's basically an indicator um you want to be fishing the nymph on the seams if you try to put that dry fly all the way back into the pocket where you'd be able to sit a dry fly um, that nymph's going to be doing who knows what it's going to be doing it's going to be swirling around behind a rock it's going to be sitting on the bottom if it's in shallow water Um, that dry fly needs to be more on the seams than it would be if you were just truly
0: fishing a dry fly by itself. Yeah. So how many of you listening right now have experienced your dry fly fishing? You tie on a dropper, you fish a few minutes, and you you weren't getting anything on the dry. You tie a dropper on, and then all of a sudden you got fish biting the dry fly. You know why that is? Because you start putting it in the seams where the fish live, right? So like when you do what Craig said, and Craig and I didn't plan any of this, but I say it all the time. Fish the nymph and the dry will fish better because now you're actually putting it over seam lines where the fish are holding underneath the seam lines and you will learn how to dry fly fish better by fishing a nymph under your dry. And you'll get get more strikes on your dry, you'll get more strikes on your nymph and the whole unit will fish more effectively. The inherent problem with dry droppers, uh, there's like there's so many, is people don't understand that when you put two flies out there, and let's just say they're 18 inches apart, we'll talk dropper depth in a second. 18 inches in most rivers might as well be a mile away from one another because they are in two different speeds of current, and those two are gonna bicker and argue about what current line they're supposed to be in. So if you do a Craig said, and you throw that dry fly up against some the shoreline, you know, which is a common place to you know have dry fly activity chances are that nymph landed in too shallow water against the shoreline where there's no trout, also in a slower current, and then the dry flight is going in faster current, and it just pulls the nymph right out of the, right the seat, you know, right through the seam line, and it's accelerating downstream, being drug along by the dry flight. Now, there are different ways to combat this, but absolutely fish the nymph Pretend you're nymphing, and you will get more strikes on the dry because you're going to spend more time in water where the fish are actually holding. Okay, setups. Most people they don't invest in buying a good tungsten nymph to put under their dry fly.
1: Yeah, fishing fishing heavy, you know, heavy droppers. Uh... Again, for us, we fish. You know, in the summertime, we is probably when we're fishing the most dry flies. We our river's real fast. Um, you know, it's running at four thousand cfs plus in the summertime, um, and we need to keep our stuff pretty tight to the bank. Um, so we need real heavy, heavy droppers to be able to cut down and, and get in some of our cut banks and under some of the grass. Um, we're fishing a you know a standard brass headed, size eighteen copper John. Uh, just won't get down more than uh, four or six inches, even even if you're running at 18 to 24 inches behind the dry fly, it's it's probably not getting more than a few inches deep.
0: Dude, it's water skiing. If you don't use tungsten and you're in swift currents, most of the time that nymph's going to be water skiing, and the tippet, between, so you have to think about this: the tippet between the dry fly and the nymph is big enough that when the current pushes on it, if that fly doesn't have some density, it's just getting pushed around in the wind. It's like on a, that, that tippet is big enough that it's like a sail, and that current's just pushing on the tippet, and then the, the, the nymph is basically a puppet for the tippet. That nymph needs to have its own identity of buoyancy. It needs to hang straight down. It can be halfway down the water column, but if it hangs and it's stable in the current, it moves much more slowly. If you want an example, just go find a nymph in the river and drop the nymph in the water, even in move current with good uh, velocity. That nymph is very stable the way it floats downstream and tungsten is the number one way to gain stability. Now, certainly if you're fishing in slow currents or spring creeks and that kind of stuff, you need to employ, you know, densities that make sense and have the correct balance. But most Western style fishing uh, or swift current style fishing, tungst shorter a shorter leash between your dry fly and your nymph and tungsten is an incredibly valuable, valuable tip to have. And jig heads make a big difference because they ride hook up and don't snag up nearly as much. So invest in good tungsten jig head nymphs for your droppers. There's lots of other nymphs that work good as droppers. Um, but most people, I, I think that covers, you know, kind of some of the basic stuff. I want to keep this podcast short, condensed, and uh, vow to not be a time waster for, for folks listening to it. But uh, other time, time specifically, let's say times a year, hatch times, when when you want to run a dry drop.
1: You know, summertime is really when I'm going to be running them. Um, you know, and and personally, I, I don't run them as much as other people. Um, you know, I guess I guess the springtime here, squala season, would be a pretty good one to run, too, where you could run a small stonefly nymph under a squala dry. Uh, Joe's shaking his head. He doesn't like that.
0: No! No, I
1: didn't. <laughs> what, what don't you like about that one? I don't want everybody doing it oh okay there you go there you go so um just the way we're fishing in the spring um we're out far enough off the bank that that you can actually get a dry fly um you know with a dropper to, to be in the right areas um which which i guess we, we skip some cons which is going to be a, a huge con to the dry dropper is that dropper hanging up in grass when you're trying to fish too tight to the bank um, yeah
0: if you're going to dry fly fish Dry fly fish. Yeah. Exactly. The, the dropper, the dry dropper is not, the nymph isn't like a bonus. The dry is the bonus, right? Like if you're going to dry fly fish and fish are taking a dry, fish are dry. It's way cleaner. It fishes better. Uh, you know, I'm going to run a dry dropper. I'm going to tie a dropper nymph on when I have to cast over fish, clear water, spooky situations. I'm nymph fishing. It's under three feet deep. And I can, I can access those trout with a single tungsten jig head nymph. Um, I'm going to do it when I, I want to cover a lot of water and I want to throw a long cast. I can throw a dry dropper much further than I can throw an indicator rig. I'm going to do it at the onset of a hatch. If the fish aren't feeding on mayflies, but there's mayflies hatching, I'm going to run a mayfly nymph suspended under the surface, pre-hatch, you know, shallow water nymphing, uh, suspension nymphing. Uh, you know, it's a good tester. It's a really quick thing to change to throw a dropper. Say you dry fly fish over a riffle and a couple of seams, no bites on the hopper. You decide you're going to go hopper dropper and you don't want to re rig and throw a light indicator. Hey, let's do a quick tester. And I can have a fly patch with a tungsten nymph and 18 inches of tippet. Tie it on real quick, throw a few casts over the riffle. Hey, I didn't get anything but my focus is dry fly fish and cut it off. It's a quick switcheroo to, to run, you know, a nymph through a riffle or two. Other dry dropper comments? Um, yeah, I
1: mean, that. So, so the reason why I don't do it as much as maybe some other people is, is I don't think you're fishing either technique as well. Um, you know, like Joe was saying, if you want to dry fly fish, dry fly fish. Uh, having, having that dropper in there, Uh, I feel like uh, some fish that were going to eat the dry flyer, eat the dropper instead. Um, So you're losing out on potentially fish that will eat the dry fly. Uh, And and I I mean, I'd much rather catch them on dries
0: if I can. Amen to that. Um, Okay. So I typically run 5X fluorocarbon, 4X fluorocarbon, sometimes the dreaded 6X to my droppers, lighter tippet sinks faster, tungsten jig heads flies that float upright every time for a dry fly uh little chubby Chernobyls work good something with poly yard on the wing Uh, but that dry fly has to be buoyant enough to take the punch on a mend you got to be able to mend the dry fly so you know poly on the wing is good but even a number 12 chubby chernobyl makes a good little uh you know indicator fly Uh, hair wings are fine too if you're not running a lot of weight but think about you know we, we sell a, a chubby Chernobyl down to a number 14 even, which makes a really good little micro dry dropper deal for people, small stream fishing, or if you're playing small ball for trout, you know, under 12 inches, that little itty bitty chubby Chernobyl. Uh, we also have one called a chubby Sally on our website. That's a really good little micro, uh, one to carry a dry dropper. Once flies get big to number eight, sixes and stuff, there's lots of options, but In that little fly game, Chubby Sally, a number 14, uh, I think it's a tan, uh, Chubby Chernobyl. There's one color they make or we sell a 14, but Um, I think what we're going to do here at this juncture is we're going to, Craig and I are going to go guide. So we're going to go literally guiding right now (laughs) and go do some nymph fishing. And then we're going to come back in... uh, I don't know how long the anglers are going to last. It's like, it's really cold today, but we're going to go out and catch a trout or two. Uh, They're staying at the lodge, want to get out for the afternoon. So we're going to go rig up some nymph rods. We're going to get some anglers out on the river for a few hours, uh, try to catch a few fish. Then we're going to come back and continue this conversation about suspension nymphing and deep water nymphing for the weight fisherman. Okay, so stay tuned. Uh, You're going to hear our teeth chattering and hear us shivering when we continue. Oh, we're back. All right. Dude, my hands are still freezing. I literally just winched my boat up like five minutes. Well, actually, technically, Craig winched my boat up. <laughs> well, I uh, got the distinguished pleasure of reaching my hand into the slush pile of ice and water in the back to unscrew the metal wing nuts barehanded. That's always a treat at the end of a cold guide day. Uh, but we caught some fish. Uh, today Today's conditions was a high of about 30.
1: Yeah, maybe. <laughs> it never never warmed up the whole time. We started at
0: about 28, and I think it was right right there the whole time. Yeah, it was a cold day of fishing. We had ice full this morning. And we had a, you know, normally it's not a typical guide, you know, typically what we're hoping for for guide conditions, but we had a, a big group of guys uh, come out, and we did a cast of last week. He shot uh, clay pigeons and pheasant hunted yesterday, and then today was fishing day, and it was cool, man. A bunch of beginners, and they just wanted to go out and have an adventure and do some cold weather uh, nymph fishing with us, and uh, we caught some fish. And had a heck of a fun day. Uh, we're going to go join them at the lodge for uh, beer here, when we get done telling you guys all about how to catch more trout on nymphs. Yeah, yeah. It, uh, it, it was a cold one, for sure, but
1: uh, all in all, I think we did did okay. Um I think just about everybody, if not everybody in the group got, you know, at least one to the boat, which is nice, all things considering.
0: Considering a lot of them are first-time mm-hmm. fishermen fishing 28 degree in 28-degree weather and in March. Um, man, that's different. In <laughs> no, you know, I say in March because it's different in November and December. Like a fall, cold day, the water's still relatively warm. Right now, that water is flowing. It is 33 degrees, maybe 34-degree water temps. Yeah, a little little slushy uh,
1: back eddies are iced over. Oh, I was, I was uh, chipping ice out of the guides from
0: start to finish, never never <laughs> stopped chipping ice out of the guides. Oh, so I was I banged into a few shelf a piece of shelf <laughs> ice today when I was rolling back up a couple of big pools. But uh, I think we left off. We talked dry droppers. We talked Euro fishing. We talked uh, drop shot nymphing, and let's talk because you fish suspended today. You fish a little bit on the short end, which is really common uh, for us guiding in boats because we fish a vi- we fish varying depths a lot. We might fish be fishing two feet of water and then we might be fishing six. And if you're set up with your nymph rig it's six or seven feet deep, it's pretty tough to have a bigger fishable race. So we fish a lot of short line nymph fingers, suspension nymphs. Anyway, uh, why don't you start in on suspension, uh, nymphing and talk about how it applied, you know, what you saw today, even in these cold temps, fishing up the water column over the fish. Yeah. So, uh,
1: again, we ran what I would say is a pretty simple about as basic nymph setup as, as we can run. Uh, I had probably about a four foot butt section with my, uh, indicator on it. Um, straight to probably three to four feet to my first stone fly, another eighteen inch drop to a uh, to a little tungsten betis nymph, um, and we ran that pretty much the entire time. We really did not adjust depth a whole lot. A um, couple of the pools we deepened up for, uh, but again, we got a we got to fish a length that allows us to cover as much water as we can without having to constantly adjust the indicator for every cast. So. So for us, three to four feet allows us to fish the majority of the river.
0: Yeah, I think what a lot of people don't realize about, and I you, you brought up a good point, because so my rig looks pretty similar when I, when I fish short line or suspension. I want at least three or four feet between that fly line and the indicator. So and, and listen to that closely. Between the fly line and the indicator, you need to have enough leader length to allow you freedom to drift and mend and arc manipulate that line and get drag-free drifts. That's one big advantage to a dry dropper is your your dry fly might be eight feet from the end of your fly line. You could abate a lot of drag or tension with the more distance between your fly line and your indicator, the more you can get rid of drag. The downside is simply harder to cast and roll cast. So yeah, you don't wanna run your indicator like right up next to your fly line. That's a really bad idea, there's a lot of drag. The other thing I bet you, Craig, does the same thing is I'm running basically a hinged leader. So I'll use, you know, if you're going to buy one, a Rio indicator leader is essentially hinged. But we build a lot of our own leaders where we run, say, four feet of uh, maybe 25 or 30 pound uh, monofilament, little tiny perfection loop. Some people use a swivel, but it's going to create a junction where you can go from butt section to tip it and in, in not in a big, long taper, but we want exclusively tippet from the indicator to the first fly, or nearly exclusively tippet. Because if you have a fly underneath that indicator and it's on just tippet, it, it's going to drift much more drag-free. That's why tippet is so critical. It's not because the fish sees it, it's because it allows the fly to flex, move, and act natural in the water, just like a real bug which has no line attached to it. So the lighter the tippet, the longer the tippet, the more that bug can act like there's no line attached to it.
1: Am I speaking the truth, Greg? Yeah, ex- exactly. Um, you know, any, anybody who's been on a guided trip and who's got there and put a brand new leader, uh, you know, t- brand new tapered leader on their fly line before the trip, the first thing we're gonna do is pull that off, coil it back up, hand it to you, and then put one of our nymph rigs on there, or um, or if the guy or
0: or the guy cuts it. In cuts half. it right in the middle. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'm not gonna lie, I've done that when I've been out of butt section material
1: with leader material before. <laughs> and
0: the people just cringe, but you're like, no, we gotta we gotta do the right thing for the job. And then, uh, you know, the other thing, like an encouragement for anybody listening is get good at your knots because what we do is we adjust our tippet length a lot. Like if we want to run a little deeper, we might move our indicator. I would bet you, and I'm just speaking from my own guiding, I'm I'm just tying on 18 inches more tippet. I mean, I'll just cut the fly off, do a triple surgeons, tie the fly back on. I can do that very efficiently. Um, it, it's, not, it's not much work to gain additional depth and maintain a long piece of tippet which allows the fly freedom of movement. So in suspension nymphing, uh, adding or subtracting tippet is going to be more common for me than moving an indicator. And, and we should actually back up. Hopefully people are still listening here because we probably should define what we're talking about when we say suspension nymphing or short line nymphing. Those are like two terms that I think can be used interchangeably. What, how, why don't you define what we're talking about when we say suspension or suspended nymphs or short line nymphing for people?
1: All right, um, man. I guess I've never
0: thought of describing that, but it, it's Dude, really we, we get going and we just use terms that people are like, "What the heck are they talking about?" But yeah, we should outline what what it means.
1: Yeah, so it's just our our what I would call standard nymph rig. Uh, again, we have a a measured out butt section anywhere from four to six to eight feet. If you're if you're able to fish that. Um, Joe was saying that might be 20, 25, 30 pound. Uh, for me right now, I'm, I'm running 15 pound, um, which is really light for a butt section. But when we're fishing smaller, lighter flies, um, when I adjust the indicator, I'm going to be able to sink that butt
0: section a little better. 15 pound. What kind of leader material? Uh, Seaguar fluorocarbon. So, so I, F- yeah, thick, if, yeah, not like 15 pound fly tippet, which is half the diameter. Yeah,
1: not a tippet. It's a true... You know, it's not measured in X like our tippet is. It's a true, you know, heavy fluorocarbon, um, but it's going to sink in a lot better than a 30-pound Maxima or, or some other, you know, some other brands will. Um, but again, so today, four-foot butt section. Um, I have a loop on the end of that. I directly hang. I ran straight 4X tippet from that to my first fly. Um, again, that was about four feet for most of the day. Uh, and then another 18 inches on 5X to to my dropper bug. Um, and again, when we're doing that, we're, we're measuring from the surface on that uh, versus the drop shot rig or Euro rig, which is gonna be measuring from the bottom. Um, so, suspense nymphing, hanging the fly four feet from the indicator, from the
0: surface. Yeah, and suspension nymphing is like, a lot of people think of, like, to us, I kinda laugh because I'm like, we, we fish so much differently than like what I would say is like what a lot of people think of as traditional nymphing. For me, a traditional nymphing rig is, it, it I'll tell you what it used to be, was put a whole crap load of split shot on there and snag the bottom a whole bunch because if you're not snagged, hitting bottom and losing flies, you're not fishing. And that was kind of like nymphing, right? Like we, we needed to contact the bottom. It needed to get down deep. It needed to get you know, right close to the bottom and I would run an indicator and then at six feet to a couple of shot and man, I would lose a lot of flies and I would snag a lot. And as I've guided more and more and more and more, now a typical nymph rig for me is I'm minimal contact with the bottom. I'm not like, you know, there's different types of nymphing and they all have different advantages. Suspension nymphing you know, which I, for me, is standard. Like I'm drifting mid-water column a lot with my my indic- my uh, short line or suspended nymph rig, minimal contact with the bottom. I'm guessing you, even in this coldest water, I'm guessing you didn't lose very many flies today.
1: Oh no, we didn't. We hit the bottom, stuck to the bottom maybe two or three times, but actually didn't lose a fly. We're able to pop those out of there. I'm same thing. I don't want to. I don't want to touch the bottom. I. I mean. When the indicator goes underwater, I want it to be a fish, not not hitting bottom all day. The
0: more that indicator goes down without a fish, the less confidence the angler gets. Cuz then they're like, this "Damn thing just goes down all the time. Why even bother setting the hook?" You know, when it's and and that's like when I watch people fish. And I we have a shop that's on the river. We can literally see people fish from where we're sitting doing this podcast. We can look out and see where people fish right here. A lot of people watching going on. And people typically think of nymphing as like with an indicator is they're hitting the bottom all the time. And uh, we want those nymphs to, nymphs don't have a negative density. When you go catch a nymph, and I would challenge people listening to do this, go to a river and flip over a few rocks and grab a a caddis larva or a mayfly nymph or a stonefly nymph doesn't matter what it is. And I don't care. Maybe you don't even know the names or how to identify them at this point. And drop that nymph in the water and you'll see it doesn't just plummet to the bottom. It will have a very neutral buoyancy, just barely negative, And it'll sink slowly and it'll levitate through the water column in a very controlled, uniform fashion. And that's really what we're imitating with those suspended nymphs. The other thing, so, and I, I just want to draw this because I think... Like in steelhead, and we fish, uh, you know, I'll fish drop shot rigs and heavier stuff for steelhead, but I fish suspended a lot for steelhead when sure. I when I indicator fish for steelhead. And this is really where I I think I was guiding one day, and I really put it into perspective by going, okay, I'm fishing six feet of water, and I'm fishing four feet under my indicator, and if I do if I do my job right and I get that fly directly under the indicator, which is a challenge, just because you have four feet of depth under your indicator certainly mean the fly is getting to four feet. And say the fish is a foot off the bottom. I'm within 12 inches of that fish. I can fish a four foot deep rig, fish it short, and fish it in six feet of water, and I can get within 12 inches of that fish. I could fish it at three feet and be within a body length of that steelhead. It, It really like when you're fishing suspended, you're covering a lot more water than you realize you are. The trick, however, and and the other thing is to trout, and we'll focus on trout and we'll just roll steelhead into this since they came up, but those species are designed like the way their mouths and their eyes and stuff are, they're made that they attack up. That's why trout like dry flies. That's why Steelhead, when they're feeding in the ocean, they swim and they attack towards the surface oftentimes. They're not made to suck stuff off the bottom. Even with our drop shot rigs, we're not trying to put the fly on the bottom. As Craig said, we're trying to keep that fly intentionally off of the bottom. So the suspension rig actually works pretty similar to a drop shot rig, we're just going the other direction. But I'll I'll say the suspension rig is, there's a lot of art and delicacy to actually getting the fly right below the indicator. Oh yeah. That's the, that's the biggest challenge.
1: Um, you know, I mean, just you have to get exactly drag free and, and oftentimes even apply a little bit of upstream drag to your indicator to really get your flies below the indicator. They're almost always going to be want to be way behind the indicator. Um, it takes, it takes a lot of practice to get that dialed in just right.
0: Yeah, people think that their flies are below the indicator, and they're not. Um, they're, they're, they're usually, I was talking about dry droppers, and the further your dry fly and your dropper are away from one another, the more those two are going to bicker and argue about, which seem to, to, to be, and the, the nymph will drag the dry fly, and the dry fly inevitably will wind up towing the nymph downstream, and the nymph will be an inch or two under the surface when you think it's 18 inches under and what Craig said about applying that artificial tension to the indicator and holding it back is because the surface currents are moving, say, two to three, to- maybe four times faster than the water in the middle or bottom half of the water column. And so if the indicator's in water that's three times faster than the water that the nymph is supposed to be in, you'd better slow that indicator down artificially with, with some very articulate and delicate mending. And I'm not talking about just learning how to do an upstream mend, but I'm talking about actually having good quality rods and good quality fly lines and good mending skills where you can throw a little snap mend out there 30 feet and pin that indicator back and slow it down to the exact speed that that fly is supposed to be at. And when we see anglers that can handle indicator setups like that, those guys have no problem putting fish in the boat all the time
1: yeah that that those are the days we get excited um you know i mean we we know it's going to be a good day when when we see guys that can that can do that stuff um you know it's it just, it takes a lot of practice it's not it's not easy um,
0: now in fishing, one fly, you know, is, is good practice way to practice that. I think, um, you know, where people can practice that kind of overhand style mending, you know, where you actually get the rod tip, elevate the rod tip and get the rod tip up in the air. Uh, I think too, like lighter rods, lighter, longer rods handle those types of mends better. Um, you know, if you're trying to do it with your seven and a half foot, you know, Redington butter stick, that's not going to work. Um, you know, thinking about getting, you know, nine foot four weights, ten foot three weights, uh, you know, those type of rods with light tips and light lines are really good for those suspension style rigs. Because it it really is like you might have a, like a, you know, a little stonefly nymph or, a, you know, even a big stonefly nymph under there. And you might think of it as like kind of this caveman style primitive fishing because there's an indicator a bigger nymph. It requires the touch of a mayfly dry fly drift a lot of the time to get that drift set up just right and fish over a big pool when your nymph is halfway down the water column because the fish get to see every little, every little hiccup or every little mistake you make. They can see it because that fly is above all of the trout. They can all see that fly. But when you get it right, you're deadly. Yeah.
1: I, again, it, it's... I don't know. It, it's a tough one to explain,
0: I guess. Um, the deadly for, factor. Hey, So it's yeah. <laughs> through the deadly factor. Where where is it placed? Uh, I don't. The deadly factor is kind of tricky because this one requires, I think, more touch than most of the others. I, I would say so. Um,
1: you know, it's, it, it's similar to dry. It, it's really the same idea as, as a dry dropper. Um, if you were to treat the the dry dropper as the indicator. Um, essentially, it's the same kind of rig. It's just deeper. Generally, fish deeper, um, and I think a lot of guys do the same. Have the same kind of issue is they they try to fish the indicator uh, and try try really hard to get the indicator you know to go drag free down the river. But we're not fishing the indicator. Just like with the dry dropper rig, guys try to fish the dry fly too much and not the nymph. It's the same thing with that indicator. Guys get so focused on what the indicator is doing. Uh, they forget what the flies are doing down under them, and, and trying to visualize what those flies are doing is a little tricky until you see it enough times.
0: Yeah, I, I the deadly factor on this one. I'm gonna go deadly factor six, and I'm gonna hold back on this one only because there's so few anglers that really can handle that. We we use this rig all the time, and the reason our clients do so good with it is because we drive the boat. We pace the boat on the indicator. I I don't want anybody listening as on a guide trip to feel bad when I use this term, but this is the best way for us to spoon feed clients fish. Is that we get the we get the indicator in the right seam, and we can pace the boat off the indicator very effectively, and we can get really really long drifts with the with a suspension rig. But it's one of the harder ones for people who are wade fishing or fishing DIY. To be successful because the rower the rower has a huge impact in the guide game so i'm gonna go deadly factor six uh with a lot of potential uh for return on angler skill if the anglers got those little men's and that delicacy and that touch and they can drive their own drift when we're guiding we like today um you know you had beginners with you i mean one guy fished some yeah said but not, i mean beginner intermediate at best yeah uh, I'd, I'd say that that's pretty fair. Um, and you are doing a lot of i mean they get they get the fly lined up and then you do a lot you give a lot of help with boat um, and that's how people learn and have some fun. but uh this one's a little trickier. Don't just think' because you're you got a, a suspended rig out there that is doing what you think it is, getting that fly directly under that indicator and getting the two to levitate and please picture that term getting that nymph to levitate midway through the water column, all the way through the drift is really critical. Um, you have to give the illusion that it has a neutral buoyancy in that water. Yeah, the, the uh, again, the, the potential
1: that could go up to a 10. <laughs> if, if guys if guys really, you know, know what they're doing, um, that it can be as effective as I think anything we do, um, which is why, you know, anytime you get in a guide boat, that's pretty much the first thing you know, you see 90% of the days, the first thing we do is, is put an rig on.
0: Yeah. And and some guides, um, you know, if you've been on a guided trip or you, you fished, you know, uh, a, a lot, let's say guides will use split shot some of the time. Um, and really that's a ballast that is aiding in the, uh, elimination of drag for this suspension rig. And I fished a lot of split shot on these types of suspension rigs when I was, uh, say my first 10 years of guiding Um, my last, this is going to be my 19th year or 20th year (coughs) year, uh, this year. But the more I've guided, the less shot I use. And I try to make the anglers kind of earn it and, and, you know, polish their skill set a little bit, but if you've been in a guide boat before or you found that your drifts seem to work a lot better when you have a piece of split shot above your nymphs, a lot of times that's not just because you're getting deeper, it's because that split shot is a ballast and anchors your drift and minimizes the tension between the fly and the indicator. When you have when you have the ability to to get a really good drift, you're gonna find that need for split shot above your fly uh, becomes much less necessary when you have the right touch on your drift. Totally agree. We we didn't use any
1: split shot today.
0: Um, and you're fishing in 33 degree water.
1: Yeah. Yeah. No, no split shot today. And I would say trout fishing over the course of the season, there's only going to be a handful of days I might put split shot on. Um, and those are probably going to be windy days. Um, because we have such a harder time controlling the indicator with men's and that kind of stuff on windy days, um, than anything, but your fly will not get any deeper because you have split shot on there. If your fly is four feet from the indicator it can only get four feet away from the indicator. It, it cannot get any deeper than that, no matter how much split shot you put on there. All it's gonna do is is help you get there faster if you're not able to get a little bit of, of really slack between the indicator and fly. Uh, initially get some slack in there to help those guys sink down. And in that case, they'll get there the same the same time. Yeah, we could do
0: like a, a, a ton of podcasts just about, I mean, nymphing is so complicated. But what you know, split shot has purpose. But a lot of people use it as a band aid or a short term patch for their lack of being able to get a drift. And I didn't mean to sit here and sound like some pompous jerk. But the truth is, like a lot of people experience that early in their fishing career, They're like man, I just catch way more when there's a big chunk of split shot on there. Well you're catching way more, not because it's just getting you deeper, or getting you there faster. A lot of times it's what's anchoring and eliminating the drag because it's slowing your drift down for you, most of which can be done by really good line handling. So the other thing, you know, is like when we get in really windy conditions, we get a lot of downstream wind and, and now we have downstream wind speeding up the indicator. And we have the surface currents, which are moving faster, speeding up the indicator. And that shot can go a long ways in mitigating some of that wind speed on the indicator, too. So shot has some really good applications. Just make sure that you understand how to handle your line in a way that you're getting that fly drag free and giving it the illusion that it's got neutral buoyancy, and it's just drifting along in what's called a nymphical drift. And nymphs do that. They don't live in the same spot their whole life. They don't always crawl to where they need to go. There are, there are temperature changes that happen. There are barometer changes that happen. When we get an extremely low barometer, when we get low atmospheric pressure, a lot of the time that's when the nymphs go, hey, now I'm buoyant, it's time for me to lift off this rock and go surfing. Because I, I need to begin living in shallower water or slower water because rivers change all the time. Sometimes the river's swift, <clears throat> sometimes the river's uh, low, sometimes the river's muddy, sometimes it's cold, sometimes it's hot. The nymphs need to move, and when they go into that nymphical drift, they're not always along the bottom. They will often be found in the middle of the water column utilizing their just slightly negative density to kind of surf and scoot their way down and if you got if your game is dialed in on getting a good suspension rig drift you're going to be very very happy because you're gonna catch a lot of fish because it's got deadly factor 10 if you can can be (laughs) if you got the handles uh last thing about suspension nymphing uh Talk indicators real quick for uh, the tell them what happens when they got too big an indicator for suspension ring. Oh, a big giant indicator, just
1: gonna it's just gonna tow the uh, tow the flies down the river. Um, you know, we talked about that a little bit earlier, um, and especially with the wind, will blow those. You know, that it'll the higher up that indicator sits in the water, um, the more it's gonna get blown around. Um, you know, we really want a portion of that indicator underwater. Uh, It's hard for us to kind of visualize that because it's so small, but the amount of resistance that is on the indicator to get pulled underwater by a fish as well. um, I actually talked with my guys about that a little bit today. Um, You know, again, it's hard for us to picture such a small, you know, small indicator with that resistance, but um, imagine, imagine, you know, gluing a rope to a basketball and trying to pull that underwater. It's going to be way harder to pull that
0: underwater than a tennis ball. Um, yeah. Imagine, uh, imagine trying to nymph uh, with a basketball for an indicator. Oh. you think you'd get a pretty good drift? No, no, no drift. <laughs> I would take a pretty good fish to pull that under too. Well, yeah, and it's going to float way too fast. You know those big. You know, just imagine using, you know, tying your little, you know, you know, size twelve nymph to a basketball. And sending that basketball adrift downstream that basketball has all the control of that drift down and we want the nymph to have control over the indicator because the nymph needs to wander and float in the it, it's it needs to wander and float in the appropriate currents and speed of currents where the trout are uh, if if the the indicator can't do all the driving There has to be a real fixed balance there. Uh, And I carry indicators from all sizes, from little tiny pulsa pinch-on indicators, which I almost use today because I saw fish rising, uh, feeding on midge just under the surface. Uh, They were making pretty good boils, and I almost use that pulsa, which I do there. But I use yarn, I use New Zealand wool, I use little thingamabobbers, I use big thingamabobbers, big yarn, small yarn, I use a big uh, variety of indicators and it all depends on, you know, what's my fly weight? What's my depth? Is it windy? Uh, a lot of different factors. Uh, am I going to be fishing and, you know, Leif, Leif is one of our most experienced guides on the staff. He's been guiding here since 2005 or six, something like that. I mean, he was at Reds before I was at Reds. Uh, and then he went to work at corporate for Sage Fly Rods in Reddington a while and then he got tired of doing that and came back to guy. But I watched Leif, he ran yarn all day. He ran yarn indicators. I often run yarn indicators and he's got his game dialed in because yarn's sensitive for slow cold water. I drop shot it with thingamabobbers. You know, totally different. You know, you, he probably wouldn't drop shot with yarn and I certainly wouldn't suspension nymph with three quarter inch thingamabobbers. Greg probably did suspension dip with three-quarter inch thingamabobbers today because we all do things slightly different, but you have to understand the balance between fly weight and indicator because it is really critical that you get that right and you're able to match the pace of that indicator with the pace the flies are supposed to be going. Absolutely. Uh, a little bit of that too is is what what your guys
1: can, I don't think we've covered that, what your guys can handle um fishing yeah we're talking about guiding. yeah you know fishing fishing yarn indicators is a little more challenging um there's a little more work to them you have to be able to you know dry them out on a cast you, you have to be able to keep them floating if you can't keep them floating it doesn't matter how sensitive they are um so they do take a little more skill to be able to fish a yarn indicator properly
0: yeah if, if yarn indicators get soggy they float too fast it's just plain and simple uh When they act like a feather, then when they're when they're buoyant and crispy and light and fluffy, they act like a feather, and then the nymph can actually move the feather across the surface to where it needs to go. So anyway, there's understand there's balance. Get yourself some different indicators. Make sure you understand. You know, small fly, small indicator typically small or small light fly, small indicator. Big heavy fly big indicator because they'll actually pace the way they float the column there. Uh, All right. So deadly factor can be up to 10. I'm giving it a six. Craig's going. I'm going same, same
1: ballpark right in there. uh, You know, even just, you know, the average guy, six, six deadliness for sure. Somebody who's, uh, really honed in that skill, it can it can be as deadly as anything out there.
0: Yeah, I mean, you, you run a suspended rig over a big seam line or a pool, all the trout get to see it. It doesn't get lost in the rocks, or it doesn't get visually obscured by running too deep behind a boulder. And the other thing is, you don't have a bunch of garbage false hook sets because your indicator's hitting the bottom all the time. Hook setting on the bottom drives me absolutely nuts when I see people set up their own rigs, and they're too heavy and they throw into a beautiful little trough where I know there's an 18 inch or living and naturally the drift floats about three feet and then stalls out on the bottom, indicator goes under, and then they hook set like a spaz and make a giant spl- you know, like explosion in this little slot. It's very detrimental. We're going to need to use this as a segue. And I promise to be honest on this podcast, Uh, we don't have time to sugarcoat things for people. But if you're one of those guys that pitches something into a slot, like a, a, you know, three feet deep walking speed riffle, and you hit the bottom and you false hook set, you're like, oh, that was a fish, that was, you don't know whether it was a fish or bottom. You're telling, it's the equivalent of going mule deer hunting, okay? Take a visual trip with me, people. It's the equivalent of going mule deer hunting so craig let's look out on this ridge right behind us let's look out the north side okay yeah. okay you see this snow-capped ridge right here sure do i'm taking you mule deer hunting okay and like hey you see that four by four buck right there craig sure okay why don't you take a couple practice shots out there to the left and then we'll get that buck gotcha gotcha <laughs> yeah 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 craig takes his pra- <laughs> that's what that's what false hook sets are like when you alarm the fish to your presence so you pitch a nymph rig into the slot, and then kaplooey, you, you 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 rip that indicator and that weight. You know, maybe it's just a fly, or maybe they're shot on there, and you rip that out of the slot a couple times. You've just you've just alarmed all those smart, mature fish that have grown to. They've spent six to eight years in this stream, evading anglers all this time. You are not gonna walk in and make a whole bunch of noise. With a, with a nymph rig that hits the bottom too much and catch mature trout consistently, a suspended rig that's presented delicately and articulately where you get one clean drift down the entire run is way more likely to catch mature trout.
1: Oh, absolutely. Your, your first cast, your first drift needs to be your best one. Um, and err on the side of short. I mean, really keep that, again, like I said, I, I don't like to hit the bottom very often. Uh, as little as possible, uh, it's a little easier, you know, cause we fish, we personally fish this river all the time. So we know where we, you know, where we need to keep that fly at certain depths. But, but if you're just going out on a new stream, fish shorter, uh, I know that sounds weird, but, but fish it a little bit shorter than you, than you think you should. And, and if you need to deepen up, then go ahead and deepen
0: up. Absolutely. See how short you can fish first and find out if they'll, Trout, trout are happy to rise up to eat a nymph if you present it and in, in, in let on the illusion that your nymph has neutral buoyancy. And it's stealthier. These are prey animals, people. Trout are low on the food chain. They live terrified most of their lives. They, they, eating is not, they don't, ex, they exercise a lot of caution when it comes to eating. There's ospreys, there's herons, there's eagles, there's otters, there's fishermen, and there's bigger fish. Uh, Even when an 18 inch trout is 18 inches, it still possesses that fear factor it had when it was a minnow. So they're prey animals, make less noise, big trout are most often caught on your first or second presentation. So that's a big plus for suspension fishing is it's much sneakier. So let's, let's uh, divert into what we're going to call like deep, deep uh, dredging or uh, you know, there's certainly an application for anglers fishing indicators that are going to tap the bottom and maybe they're going to fish it suspended. You know, part of the, you know, maybe at the initially early, uh, this is weight fisherman, strike indicator, weighted flies, fishing the traditional formula of one and a half times the depth of water between their indicator and their fly. That is the traditional set up for indicate strike indicator fishing if you went and looked at a textbook somewhere it's most likely going to suggest you hit the bottom frequently and you have uh one and a half times the depth of water between your indicator and your fly so and and that can be very effective in, in a lot of situations it's not my favorite to do but it again i'm a guide and i'm fishing differently and i have a set of skills that a lot of people don't have, and personally, I prefer other strategies. But somebody's a you know beginner to intermediate, uh, you know, even advanced intermediate, this traditional type of setup can be very, very effective for them if they know the, all the pros and cons. So, uh, we need a name for this, we're just going to call it trad nymphing, you know, like <laughs> traditional, okay, nymph, you know, like old school trad nymphing. So, trad nymphing, uh. What are, uh, I don't know the quite correct question, but what are like pros and cons? Like we got to put ourselves in the position of an angler that's going wade fishing and maybe he's using a pontoon boat or he's floating downstream or she's wade fishing or she's using a pontoon boat and going downstream. You're welcome, ladies. Uh, what, what are the pros and cons of trad nymphing?
1: Well, oh, cons are going to be, you're going to lose flies for, for starters, um, it's fine. They buy yeah, they buy flies uh, near the <laughs> <shop>. God, sure. <laughs> We work at a fly shop, so maybe that's not a con, but <laughs> but uh, but you are. You're gonna you're gonna hang up, you're gonna have a little more downtime. Um, it, it can be a little frustrating if if you're hanging up and breaking off a lot. Um, and tangling. Tangling, probably gonna oh, yeah. tangle more too. You've got a longer setup, probably fishing with more weight, probably more split shot. Um but again, you're gonna keep that fly down there by the fish, so it's gonna spend more time deeper.
0: One of the upsides here, uh, yeah, I mean, there's there's a lot of cons. It's trad nymphing, right? It's like if you look at a book, go get instructed. This is gonna be how they're gonna tell you to fish. There's the upside is that a lot of people can't cast all that far. Like, and I'm not gonna say you need to be able to distance cast, but it's a limiting factor. If if you can only cast a nymphing setup. 20 feet, that's two rod lengths, right? You need to get your fly down pretty early in the drift. Like if you're a beginning fisherman, you're like, I'm not the good of a caster. Hey, trad nymphing can be really effective for you because it's going to be set up a little bit heavier. It's going to, you generally are going to have a piece of weight on there to aid in the, the, uh, mitigating the tension that occurs between the indicator and the nymphs. So it's going to sink and get down a little bit quicker. You can fish uh, ledges where you start your drift up in a riffle and you bounce it down the ledge into the deep pool. The deep pool is gonna require a little bit of weight to get down in. And your whole drift might be 25 feet you know, or 30 feet, 10 to 15 of which, (coughs) excuse me, is kind of the sweet spot in the middle. So trad nymphing can be really effective for people kind of getting into the nymph thing uh, they don't <clears throat> want a suspension nymph. They can't cast a long ways. They need, to, they need to bounce those flies off some deeper ledges. European style nymphing is generally a much more advanced technique that people get into later on. Drop shot nymphing is a little bit more of an advanced technique. Trad nymphing is kind of the entry point where people figure out what it's like when the indicator hits bottom and it goes down how does it look a little bit different when it hits a fish and it's just you're going to end up probably feeling your way into this whole thing with trad nymphing so one and a half times the depth of water fishing two flies is very common using a piece of bb size split shot above your fly setup is very common <coughs> uh indicators generally are going to be um you know a you know, it used to be a you Now it's like a thingamabobber or what's called an airlock. If you have no idea what those are called, just type in thingamabobber, uh, on the search bar of RedsFlyfishing.com. That's our online store. It's, it's actually a trademark game. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's it, so you, you may hear me say bobber more than,
1: more than other people. Um, you know, I, yes, we're fly fishing. So there's strike indicators, but, uh, but if the thing is called a thingamabobber so i don't feel bad calling it a bobber
0: yeah when you bought <laughs> no it's a bobber it's in the name right uh, we're not going to we're not going to church anything up here it it, it acts as a bobber it you know but bobber's you know it, it is a strike indicator because Strike indicators, it doesn't just bob. Strike indicators should be manipulated um, and slowed down and not just suspended. It's a little bit more dynamic than a bobber, but we call it bobbers. Uh, so I, I think a typical setup looks like a, a three-quarter inch thingamabobber. When you buy thingamabobbers or airlocks, get half inchers, get three-quarter inchers. One inchers are really relegated to just steelhead or extremely large salmon fly stone fly type nymphs um really really heavy I've never fished a one inch for trout uh three quarters is kind of the sweet spot but the indicator needs to be buoyant enough that it doesn't go under with every little contact with the bottom
1: yeah yeah again we we said it earlier every time my bobber goes underwater I want it to be a fish I don't I don't want weight or drag uh which is a, a lot of drag, will pull our fly, you know, pull that indicator underwater. Um, and, and I don't want false takedowns, I guess, for lack of a better word. Yeah, yarn
0: doesn't the yarn doesn't play as well for trad nymphing, although that is the, you know, it was the original. Uh, big yarn he's fine. I really like yarn. I much prefer, when I personally fish, I'm running yarn almost all the time. When I guide, I use thingamabobbers a lot because people can... They can mend the crap out of the thing, and it just goes, it'll sink, and then it'll go whoop, 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 It'll corkscrew right back up to the top, and and it's not as sensitive. So, you know, we do some things different guiding than we might personally, but yarn isn't as applicable to trad nymphing. The indicator needs to be buoyant enough that it doesn't go down with every little contact that it makes with the the bottom of the river.
1: Yeah, I mean we're calling this trad nymphing i guess but um i love that name. i think i think it's you're gonna <laughs> kind of progress into one of the other ones we talked about um i think as you start to go and, and dial it in it, it re- it's really going to become one of these other types of nymphing we're talking about uh i think just as you get better you're going to see that these other forms just do better in different scenarios and you're going to learn when to use these other techniques um the the trad nymphing I guess would if you saw somebody walk into the shop it'd probably be on a nine foot tapered leader with a yarn or thingamabobber somewhere up near the fly line a chunk of lead stuck somewhere around the tapered part of the middle of the leader a fly tide on the end um, and it's just so different than what we would personally rig up it it, you know it's kind of hard to you just (laughs) described
0: you know. Average Joe, average Joe, didn't catch anything. Came yeah. into the shop, and you described his nymphing rig to a T. I mean, that's like, yeah, a standard nine foot tapered leader. No thought to the fact that we have twenty five or thirty stiff twenty five or thirty pound test between the the number eighteen lightning bug and the indicator. That that heavy taper. I mean, gosh, there's it's just so technical, people. <laughs> uh So we're, yes, there's a lot of, you know, we can improve your fishing a lot. Uh, We're going to call it trad nymphing. But trad nymphing, it kind of winds up becoming suspension nymphing when it drifts over a deep spot, or you don't quite have it all the way down to the bottom. It kind of becomes drop shotting when the the flies are bouncing near the bottom and kind of, you know, fluttering around near the bottom. And it allows you to just kind of, hey, I don't know exactly what I'm doing here, but I know I want to catch some fish on nymphs. So I'm going to run a, you know, get a Rio indicator leader. If you don't want to build your own leaders, it's a good program. Just get Rio strike indicator leader, Rio indicator leader. It tapers down aggressively. You put your indicator right where it goes from thick to thin, and you tie a fly on the bottom and you put a piece of weight about 12 to 18 inches above that fly, and you're trad nymphing, you get in there, you get your licks in, you figure out what it's like to tap bottom, you figure out what it's like to get a few bites and decipher between the bottom and a trout. But Craig's right. The goal is for you to progress into a, probably a more refined discipline where you throw every drift with a plan and you throw every drift with intention. Uh, absolutely. God, that was heavy. Yeah. Dude, I like that. That's, um... Every drift is thrown. With complete intention. Really? Now, I like the first part better. Well, yeah, I mean, you know, we're, we're gonna in, edit that
1: maybe. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we're we're trying to catch them. We, we you know, it, you got to fish and expect to catch fish on casts. I mean, I know we're kind of joking a little bit, but um, you know, you got to be expecting to catch fish. Otherwise, you're you're not uh, fish expectantly.
0: Expectantly, <laughs> That's a word I made up. <laughs> it's my podcast. <laughs> do, whatever, do whatever I want. Uh, now we do want you to get into more refined discipline um, but get into it i sincerely hope these tips helped i mean this is like this is rich content i mean we're giving you kind of the guide stuff and uh, we're not holding anything back uh, you know get out there plan some fishing for this year try to get better at your nymph fishing um, it makes a big difference uh, i will tell you uh, a little bit more skill with a nymph provides exponential return on your catch count so any uh any little uh concluders there oh um, man i don't
1: know i think we covered covered a lot of it i know we could keep going
0: <laughs> <We did. laughs> on a, I think on a podcast lot of like an hour and 26 minutes and i mean we should probably go back and, and at some point <laughs> these podcasts i mean we don't make any money off these podcasts we just hope you buy something from us someday but Truthfully, like each one really kind of needs its own podcast and blog entry, like so we can diagram some of the stuff. That that's my job. Craig's off. He's gonna gonna go to the lodge next I'm gonna go fish. He's gonna go fish, or he's gonna go (laughs) drink a beer with our customers that we fished with earlier today. Uh anyway, thanks a ton for listening. Go shop at Red's Fly Shop. Uh we need and appreciate your support. Also, uh follow us on Instagram. Uh, Facebook for the old people and, uh, YouTube for everybody because it's just that good. So anyway, thanks a ton. All right. Take care.